Welcome to Kanenbaum Podcast, episode number 21. I'm Tom Barthel, glad to be serving as your host for this episode. We'll begin this podcast with Moment with the Master, shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Our, the portion of God's Word that we're going to spend a moment with our Master with for today is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See your king comes to you, righteous. So what's your favorite picture of Jesus? Is it Jesus with the little children? Jesus the good shepherd? Perhaps one of him rising from the dead? Or or a Christmas picture with Jesus as a small baby? What's your favorite picture of Jesus? I'm guessing that you didn't pick as your favorite one Jesus fashioning a whip and driving money changers and merchants out of the temple. But that's what Jesus did on the the first Monday of Holy Week. Seeing that makes us a little uncomfortable. Why? Because it reminds us of who Jesus is, that he is righteous. That should make us so very uncomfortable. If the righteous king is coming to me, I should be very nervous and frightened because I am a sinner. Standing before a righteous king? I don't really like that because I know that I deserve his wrath and his judgment just like those money changers and merchants deserved it too. But Jesus came. He came to the money changers. He came to that sin-filled city of Jerusalem. Why? So that he could do what they needed him to do. So that he could die for them. And just like he died for them, so he died for me. My sins are forgiven in full. My unrighteous acts have been removed. My eternity in heaven has been won. And really, that's a picture that I can't wait to see. I'm rejoicing to have a righteous and forgiving Savior just like you. Amen. Up next is God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. Job 6, verses 1 through 10. Then Job replied. Actually, I'm going to stop here. Job has listened to his friend Eliphaz, and now he's responding to Eliphaz. And this is going to be the pattern throughout the book. One friend will talk, and then another will listen. Let's go on to verse 2. If only my anguish would be, could be weighed, and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Here Job is saying that his pain, the arrows of the Almighty, have got the best of him, and that he spoke rashly in chapter 3. Job agrees with Eliphaz this far. The poisoned arrows of the Almighty and God's terrors are indeed aimed at him. The difference is that Job doesn't know why this is happening, and Eliphaz only thinks he knows. Because we've read the first two chapters, we already know that Eliphaz is wrong. Verse 5. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Now this verse means that when a donkey is hungry, it brays, and when an ox is hungry, it bellows. And when a man is in pain... He said, my anguish, in verse 2, he cries out. But just as when an animal is quiet when it's fed, so a man who gets relief stops crying out in agony. Verses 6 and 7. 
Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Or is there flavor in the white of an egg? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Okay, the footnote in the NIV is paralleled in many translations, and it's confusing to a lot of readers. It says this, The meaning for the Hebrew for this phrase, quote, is there flavor in the white of an egg, unquote, is uncertain. That's because the phrase, the white of an egg, comes from the Targum, or Hebrew paraphrase, and not from the actual text of Job. In verse 6a, the first line of verse 6, the Hebrew word for tasteless is tafel. Now in Lamentations 2.14, tafel means something like worthless. And in Ezekiel's visions, it's usually translated whitewashed, as in Ezekiel 13.10-15, and later in Ezekiel 22.28. In verse 6b, the second half of verse 6, the phrase that the NIV and the King James present as the white of an egg is rear halamuth, literally the slimy juice of something called lamuth, maybe a plant. This is the phrase that is meant in the footnote. The Revised Standard Version, or RSV, translates the slime of the purslane, since the juice of the purslane plant, which is a it's a weed-like leafy plant used for salads and medicine. Yeah, the, the, the purslane is quite sour and barely palatable without adding other ingredients or by frying it. In 1903, a guy named uh, uh, Yehuda pointed out that the Arab word, Arabic word halum, uh, uh, the, uh, halamuth, means a kind of a soft cheese. And the letters of the word correspond exactly to our text here in Job. And since raw, creamy cheese is watery and it's tasteless and needs to be salted, that might be the intended word here. Any of these suggestions fits with Job's statement, such food makes me ill, especially given his illness. Let's look at verses 8 to 10. Job sees the danger... Let's read them first, sorry. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut me off, then I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Job sees the danger of his thinking. The more he contemplates his agony, the closer he comes to cursing God. Although he has not yet cursed God in his words or in his heart, he sees that his line of thinking takes him dangerously close to that conclusion. So he prays for a different solution. Job prays that God would end his life while he still has faith. This relates to the meaning of the strange numbers in the last three verses of Daniel. In Daniel 12, we have this somewhat mysterious and terrible thing, the abomination that causes desolation, that will take place for 1,290 days. But which also blessed is, but we also see that blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. That is to say, the bad times will last about three and a half years. These are spiritual numbers. But we are encouraged to endure for a little while longer, and then the end will come. Here in Job, the patriarch suspects that he will not have the strength to endure as long as God is asking him to, so he prays that the end of his life will come so that his soul will be preserved. In terrible times, this is a Christian prayer. 
Paul said that at one point we are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we have despaired even of life. That's 2 Corinthians 1.8. God was with Paul and his companions, God was with Job, and God is with us. We also know that God will not ask us to endure any longer than we are actually able. God is faithful, Paul said, yet he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13. Through all of our temptations and all of our challenges and tests, God will help us. He will be with us. His blessings endure forever. And his will is that we will endure too forever with him in heaven. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. We're happy to be featuring another artist on Canaanbaum Podcast. This artist is called Branches Band. They're recording their seventh album this spring. Branches Band plays both traditional hymns and contemporary hymns with their original arrangements. Please visit branchesband.com to see their music, order CDs, find MP3 downloads, and order sheet music. We thank Branches Band for permission to share their music with you. Be sure to let them know you're encouraged by their music and visit their website, branchesband.com, to support them. This song is titled, Praise to the Lord, from their 2010 album, Light Eternal. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is your health and salvation. Let all who hear now to his temple draw near, joining in glad
God gets the glory. We read from Genesis 14, 21-24. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, Mamre. Let them have their share. Do we get this account? Does it make sense to us that Abram would decline any portion of the plunder? When we work hard, we expect to get a return. Hadn't Abram earned a good return for his risk in carrying out the rescue mission? This is very different. It is in the context of the church and the one who publicly represented the Lord. Abram had just finished doing this with Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High. He had just publicly made known that God was behind this victory. Not even a shoelace. Why not? God would get the glory. Abram had the promise to be greatly blessed by God. He knew God wouldn't want the king of Sodom being able to take credit for making Abram rich. Even if the king of Sodom was being generous and telling Abram to keep the goods for himself, he had no right to dictate who would receive what of the spoils. Abram had won them back. And Abram, as we just saw in his thank offering, had acknowledged that it was really God who gave him all of this. It isn't that Abram is just being noble for the sake of showing Lot, I did it for you. It isn't that Abram is just being generous. A believer would naturally want to restore property to its rightful owner. Rather, it is that Abram didn't want to compromise God's glory, not for the people of his day or for future generations. The king of Sodom and the servants of Satan would jump on any chance to discredit the Lord for failing Abram and failing to fulfill his promise. Later evidence will show that the king of Sodom was just like his people, unrighteous, without any faith in the true God. To accept a gift from him would be to gain blessings contrary to what God had in his plan for Abram. Christians do well to imitate the example of Abram. Rely on the grace of God for blessing, not the charity or support of those who don't know and love God. Some Christian groups might try to justify getting money from those who are not united in faith with a Christian congregation or a Christian school or other organization. They justify it by saying the money will go toward a good cause. They reason that this is the best way for God to bless their efforts. Don't get me wrong. It isn't necessarily a sin for a Christian youth group to hold a car wash or to go to the public and sell brats to raise money in the community. It isn't wrong for a Christian group to seek money for church work by earning it with work within the community. But is it always wise? And would it ever be wise to seek the charity of the community rather than the support of God's people? What impression does this give of the church when it is out for your money and not for your heart? What impression does it give others? What does it say to future generations? What are we telling those when we tell them to go and seek money from the world around you for church work? And yes, God can and will use the wealth of the unrighteous to accomplish his purposes. But Abram knew it was better to remain without it 
than to seek it. He knew it was better to let all glory go to God for what is received and what is accomplished. Couldn't he accept just a small gift? Not even a shoelace. Abram made an oath. He didn't want the king of Sodom to feel Abram owed him anything. He didn't want the king of Sodom to see God's child living like the rest, out for money. Abram wasn't out for wealth from anyone. God has given his people the victory. The work we do and the mission we have together as his church is not one that needs or seeks the cooperation of the world. It has our God. It has his promises. Remember, rather than to seek the help of the world around us, understand our reliance and our hope in God. We are different from this world. And that's a good thing. Abram already had it all, and so do you. He was waiting and trusting in the riches of Christ. And so are you. His kingdom, his wealth, his eternal kingdom, and rest are yours. Let him have the glory as you look to him alone for it. We'll close this episode with a song by Chris Dreisbach, I Know It Was the Blood. I know it was the blood I know it was the blood I know it was the blood for me One day when I was lost He died upon the cross And I know it was the blood for me Yeah, they nailed him to the cross They nailed him to the cross They nailed him to the cross for me One day when I was lost He died upon the cross And I know it was the blood for me Oh, they pierced him in his side They pierced him in his side They pierced him in his side for me One day when I was lost he died upon the cross And I know it was the blood for me Well, he never said a mumbling word He never said a mumbling word He never said a mumbling word for me One day when I was lost He died upon the cross And I know it was the blood He hung his head and he died He hung his head and died for me One day when I was lost He died upon that cross And I know it was the blood for me He's coming back again And I's coming back again He's coming back again For me One day when I was lost He died upon the cross He's coming back again For me Yeah, I know it was the
You've been listening to Kanenbaum Podcast, episode number 21. For this episode, we'd like to once again thank Branches Band for their song, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, from their album, Light Eternal. Visit branchesband.com. And also Chris Dreisbach, I Know It Was the Blood, from his album, Hymns for Him. You can find links to both of these artists at canaanboundpodcast.com. This episode was first shared in May of 2013. Visit canaanboundpodcast.com to find more information about this podcast and to find links in which you can share this podcast with others. If you've been encouraged by the message that you heard, please contact one of the pastors or one of the musicians and tell them that you found encouragement through God's Word. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Baxter, Minnesota. I was glad to be serving as your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location nearest you. Thanks for listening. Oh, that just life and breath come now with praises before.